Well, we are working our way through 2 Peter. Uh, don't lose heart. We're going to get to the end. Uh, looks like by the end of May. So just enjoy the ride. I certainly have been enjoying it. And I trust that it's been as meaningful to you as it has been for me. Have you forgotten? Peter's reminding us. And I'm here to remind you again. Have you forgotten where corruption comes from? Where does it come from? Say it, a lot. Well, say it louder. Evil desires in each one of us, right? Corruption is produced by evil desires. How do we escape it? By sharing in the divine nature. By having God plant himself in our very bodies and minds. By believing his promises are true and that transforms us. And we have faith to be saved. And then we make every effort to add to that faith seven things. Let's see if you can say them with me. Virtue or goodness. Knowledge. Self-control. Keep it up. Perseverance. Keep persevering. Godliness. Mutual affection. And love. Uh, you know, by the end of May, maybe you could memorize those and we could all say them out loud together. That was my hope when we started this. Today, we have something else to not forget. So we're going to just look at 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9, and I hope you have your Bible open or a, a device that shows you what that says. 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9. Let's read it from the NIV. I'll read it to you. Uh, and it's under this title, A Theory of Relativity. See if you can find that in here. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. I have a friend named Will that grew up with me. Our dads were friends in college. And Will wanted to be rich, wanted to be famous. So he took all of his money together and he bought a Series 600 BMW, used one, and drove it to Hollywood. And I remember talking to him before he went, saying, Will, what about the Lord? What about following Jesus? What about all that stuff we talked about growing up? He said, I'll get to that someday. He said, I'll repent between the saddle and the ground. Now, what was he meaning? When he saw that his life was ending, he'd say, Lord, have mercy and save me. And then he would arrive in God's presence. Okay. But in the meantime, he was planning to enjoy the things of the world. Well, my friend Will bought himself a mountain bike out there in California. He was going on a mountain bike trail, and he went down a path he didn't know, went over a three-meter cliff, and landed on his head and became a paraplegic. He's in a wheelchair today. And you know what he said when I called him up in the hospital and he was recovering? I said, Will, how are you? He said, guess what? There's no time between the saddle and the ground. If God had not had mercy on me and saved my life, I would not be okay. But by his mercy and his patience with me, I have another chance to get it right. And Will is writing a book from his wheelchair on the love of God. 
the severe love of God that waits and waits and waits and works to get us to come to our senses and repent before it's too late. That's what Peter's saying in this two-verse passage that we're looking at this morning. The whole letter of 2 Peter, and Peter says both of them, are reminding us of the precious promises of God in the Bible, more precious than gold, that predict the future so that we will have wholesome thinking and holy living in the present. Let me say that again. He's reminding us of the promises of God in the Scripture that predict a glorious end and everlasting life and a new heaven and a new earth in the future so that right now, today, which is all we have, by the way, we will have wholesome thinking and holy living. We haven't quite gotten to holy living. That'll come next in the next couple weeks. Why do I live holy life? Because I believe the promises of God are true and the destination He predicts is real. It's where I'm going. And so I will repent and live a holy life today, not necessarily because it wins me the most popularity or money or pleasure, but because I am looking for the kingdom that is coming. He says one thing. Time. Don't forget what time is for. With the Lord, he says, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years are like a day. So what is this thing we call time? We can measure it down to the nanosecond. It's called the fourth dimension sometimes. Height, breadth, width, and time. Well... Somebody said it was like water in the hands of a child that he's trying to figure out what to do with while it drips through his fingers. I like that metaphor. While we're trying to figure out what we're going to do when we grow up, we end up growing up. Time is ticking by, slipping into the future, I think a band said long ago. I like what Sidney, Sidney Van Auken wrote. If you've never read A Severe Mercy by Sidney Van Auken, uh, you should. It's a good book. It's about how he comes to faith through the death of his wife. But he says, how strange that we cannot love time. It spoils our loveliest moments. Nothing quite comes up to expectations because of it. We alone, animals, so far as we can see, are unaware of time, untroubled. Time is their natural environment. Why do we sense that it is not ours? We feel like strangers in time. It's going too fast. You know, time is relative. So the general theory of relativity taught us that it can go faster or slower, depending on your perspective, depending on your velocity. That if you're moving, time slows down. In fact, the faster you go, the slower time goes to the point of, Einstein predicted, nobody's ever done this, of course, if you went the speed of light, which is the C in MC squared, you would stop time altogether. Fascinating thought is, what about God is light and his relation to time? If God is light, time can be flexible in his hand. They say a dream only takes a couple of seconds, even though it seems like half your life in, while you're sleeping. 
What's quicker? One hour watching a movie you love or one hour in a class you hate? What's quicker? A year for a six-year-old or a year for a 60-year-old? My high school years seemed like a blur that lasted a few weeks. To you who are still trying to get through it, I'm sure it seems like your whole life. Time. Is it a constant? Is it real even? They say they're coming up with a new physical theory that explains it all to combine quantum mechanics and general relativity into what they're calling uh, gravity. What is it? I lost it in my notes here. General uh, quantum gravity. And quantum gravity eliminates the concept of time. There is no time. It's just a figment of your imagination. They say there is cause and effect. But here's what I thought. You know, if you have science homework due this week, just tell Mr. Zerker that there's no time. That you learned in church that time is a figment of our imagination, so there was no time to do your science homework. I don't think you'll buy it. (laughs) C.S. Lewis teaches about how to develop an eternal perspective on time, which I think Peter would agree with completely. He says, if we complain of time and take such joy in the seemingly timeless moment, what does that suggest? It suggests that we have not always been or will not always be purely temporal creatures. It suggests that we were created for eternity. Not only are we, are we harried by time, we seem unable, despite a thousand generations, even to get used to it. We are always amazed by it, how fast it goes, how slow it goes, how much of it is gone. Where, we cry, has the time gone? We aren't adapted to it, not at home in it. If that is so, it may appear as a proof, or at least a powerful suggestion, that eternity exists and that it is our home. I hear Moses saying that very thing in Psalm 90. Teach us to number our days aright. Our days are like a sigh. They're over in a moment. We're harried by your wrath. And he, he even says that a thousand years are like a watch in the night, like a day that passes. That's where Peter gets this prediction. That's where he says, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. But I think Peter's talking more about quantity than quality. This is what I mean. Most of us wouldn't not buy a candy bar if it costs five hayes instead of two hayes. Everything's going up, right? So you go buy your favorite. I love those dark snicker. Have you seen dark snicker bars? Oh man, those are tempting. If it costs five hayes instead of two hayes, yeah, I'm sad that I have to spend three extra hayes, but I'm still getting the Snickers bar. Peter's saying, if your time was unlimited, what would be the difference between a day and a thousand years? So if you were a billionaire, buying a house for 500,000 hayes or $50 million dollars, would be like me paying three versus, five versus three hayes for a candy bar. So think about God's unlimited resources in time. In fact, his declaration of time as good. When he looked at creation and said, it is very good, he was talking about time as well because he created it. So that things like 
fine wine and diamonds and strong marriages could be created because without time those things don't happen see he says time is good we say I can't wait anymore for my prayers to be answered and Peter's declaring over us God is patient with you what difference does it make if it takes a day or a thousand years for him to answer your prayers if he gets to decide when your prayers are answered? And so I started thinking this week, how would I pray differently if I believed my prayers were to be answered before I got off of my knees? Like a genie, you know, three wishes. I would pray differently. I would pray more constantly. I would pray all the time. I would find people to pray for. What's the difference? Time. I must believe that God's promise to hear and answer my prayer in the name of Jesus is true. Whether I receive the answer today or whether ten generations down my line, those prayers make a difference. Peter's saying God's patient. Or maybe it's better to say, God is never late. This is what the Portuguese translates that verb, slow, tardio. God's not off sync. God's not late in answering your prayer or fulfilling His promise. Patient, not late. Keep telling yourself that when it feels really late. He's patient because He's waiting for everyone to come to repentance. Why doesn't he fulfill his promise and our requests immediately? It's because it makes a difference to us. The Bible talks about the fullness of time. The fullness of time. When the fullness of time. That's kairos time versus chronos time. Every second is not the same. There is a point, a moment when the fullness of time comes. Let's look at a few of these in the Bible. You can just read them there off your screen or take notes of the, of the reference. I'll send them out with the notes in the WhatsApp group this week. Making known to us the mystery of His will. This is God's will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. Now, some of that has been fulfilled. Others have not. All things in heaven and on earth have not been united. The fullness of time in that sense is still coming. How about Galatians 4, 4 and 5? But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. The fullness of time was in the period of the Jewish law. As a Jew, Jesus came as a Jew under the law. In the fullness of time. Now imagine yourself being a Jewish follower of God, believing the promises of a Messiah in the middle of the intertestamental period. 400 years from the last chapter of Malachi to the first chapter of Matthew, when the Maccabees reigned and all of the legends of the Jewish warriors happened. And there were people waiting for the Messiah in those 10 generations of people waiting for this fullness of time. Imagine people in Egypt, in slavery. Imagine people all over 
the world and all over history waiting for this fullness of time. And God goes on, 2 Corinthians 6.2, for He says, In a favorable time I listened to you. In a day of salvation have, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time, says Paul. Behold, now is the day of salvation. I believe that in the age of grace, every moment that the gospel is preached is the kairos moment, is the day of salvation. Now is all you have, my friend. C.S. Lewis says the present moment is the point on the timeline that touches eternity. There is no past that's real. There is no future yet. There's no guarantee of anything. But right now, today, now is the day of salvation, and I hope you have taken advantage of it. Revelation 10, and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, that's the beginning, the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay. That's Kairos time. That's the fullness of time in Revelation where the one seated on the throne declares, waiting is over. There is no more delay. So that time is coming. We are still in that waiting mode through the patience of God. The Bible talks about waiting on the Lord. Now, this is more than waiting in the doctor's office. It's more than waiting for school to be out. It's expectant, confident hope in the promise of God that will certainly be fulfilled. So it's a joyful, patient waiting before the Lord. We haven't received what we've asked for. We haven't received what He's promised, but we are okay because we know that He is sovereign. Look at what the Bible says about that. Psalm 130. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in His Word I hope. There you go. The promise is true. I will not be anxious. I will not let panic take over. Because I know that God is in control of the seconds. Isaiah 30. Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you. Guess what? God is waiting on us too. And therefore He exalts Himself to show mercy to you, for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for Him. He goes on in chapter 40, of course, to talk about those blessings. They that wait on the Lord will mount up with wings on eagles and run and not be weary and walk and not be faint. Psalm 37. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. And verse 34 says, wait for the Lord, keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. And finally, Psalm 39. Now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. That's a comfort to me when I'm waiting for a specific answer to prayer and I think, Lord, how come you're not giving me what I want? And God says, aren't I what, I, what you want? Wait, have me, be like me. I'm the goal, not that particular thing you're asking for. Oh, there's another one. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. God is patient with us. And if you believe that, if you believe in Him, you too will become more and more and more patient. You see, the point is faith that Peter says is more valuable than gold. We've already talked about the Word being more valuable than gold. But faith is precious. And great faith is not so much how much you have right this minute. 
but how long you can keep praying and trusting and rejoicing in the Lord, believing that His promise is coming. It grows in the fire of perseverance. Romans 12.3 says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Okay, so how do we judge our value? Think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So that faith is stretched over time as you keep praying expectantly, joyfully, peacefully saying, Lord, I know, I know it's coming. I'm praying. I'm claiming my kids for the gospel. I'm claiming my wife for salvation, my mother and father, my neighbors. I keep praying and believing that you hear and answer the prayer in Jesus' name. Faith is our confidence in God, which increases in quality through suffering and long waiting. You know what? Be encouraged. If you've been waiting a long time, God's complimenting you. He's saying your faith can take it. Your faith will stretch that far. I hear you. I hear you. It's coming. I know it's been decades. Just keep trusting and asking and praying. Peter is saying time has a purpose. Time is to prepare us for repentance. And his question is, how long will that take? Repent. God's being patient. He doesn't want anybody to perish. His will is not that anyone be sent to hell. He wants us to come to repentance through His patient kindness. Romans chapter 2 says, Do you show contempt for the riches of His kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? See, I don't know if you're, if you're like me. But when I sin, sometimes I wince and think, uh-oh, God's going to whack me. And God smiles and says, no, I already whacked Jesus in your place. But I'm going to be kind to you because I don't want you to ever do that again. Don't sin because God is merciful. His mercy leads you to repent. His mercy leads you to say, Lord, I want to be holy like you're holy. I don't want anything in my life to offend you, to raise the fire of your anger and wrath that is justly coming over the sins of the world. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Holiness, holiness, obedience, full obedience to His Word is what brings us into His, oppress His presence. And that can only be through Christ in me, as we've sung. He's appointed to human beings to die once, and then comes the judgment. We don't believe in reincarnation for perfection, right? We believe in God's long patience for sanctification. His patience is making me desire a more holy life every day as I wait to be in His holy fire, consuming fire of presence that Peter's already talked about. Fire is coming. It's going to burn up everything. Those who are in Christ will be fireproof. Praise God. He's not behind schedule. He doesn't want anyone to perish. And he urges us, like John the Baptist and Jesus both, repent for the kingdom of heaven is here. The Lord is calling us. The Lord is calling you, my friend, my brother and sister. Psalm 19 says, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. Day after day they pour forth speech right 
Night after night, they reveal knowledge. God is saying, look around you. I made this world perfect, and and you've messed it up. I'm making a new one. Run to the cover of salvation in Christ. Romans 1, 18-20 says, We have no excuse. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. God wants everyone to come to repentance. And we have no excuse but to do that. So, what is repentance? Greek, the Greek word repentant for repentance is wonderful, and I, I, I hope every one of you have a chance to study it. Metanoia, change of mind, change of mindset, change of focus, change of direction. Turn around and go the other way. You've been running after yourself. Now turn and fix your eyes on Jesus and run the long, patient race He's laid out before you with joy in your heart. It means compunction, including reformation. I got that right out of the lexicon. It means a feeling of being sorry so deep that you change your way of living and thinking and speaking. Repent. And this repentance starts with a sinner falling on, the, on Christ as his Lord, as his God, but then becomes the race, conniving into hell with everyone who will go with him. That's the road to destruction. It's easy. Just go with the crowd. They're all going there. And those that God picks out, touches by his grace and mercy, like those fish in The Chosen. If you've watched The Chosen, those little fish that turn around and change color. That's the, the sample of repentance. You say, wait a minute. I'm not going where everybody else is going. I'm turning around and I'm running toward Jesus. And I want to become more and more and more like Him through a life of constant repentance. We must turn. We must abandon ourselves, our earthly lives everything that raises his wrath abandon your idols things you think give you joy and life and pleasure outside of god turn back from the illusion of your own autonomy and little reign little kingdom give that up to the reign of god let him have control of it only he can satisfy only he gives life listen to what john stott says The essence of sin is man substituting himself for God. I love it. The essence of sin is my saying, I am. I am. Guess what? There's only one who gets to say, I am, in the universe. It's the I am. Either you find your identity in him, or you are his competition. Run into the open door in Christ and receive salvation, which is... God substituting Himself for us. Praise Jesus. Either you are with Him or you are His. Either you are with Him or you are His enemy. There is no neutral ground. Susanna said that to me this week. She says, you know, I used to think there was sort of a secular place that was not 
either evil or good. It was just sort of this neutral place. I think we all start that way. Guess what? It doesn't exist. Either you are all in for Jesus, or you're going against Him. And He is coming to judge all that is not in Him. Great wrath is coming. Revelation 14 is one of the places we see this. An angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he had a sharp sickle. And another angel who had the charge of the fire came from the altar and called in a loud voice to him who had the sickle, take your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of grapes from the earth's wine, earth's vine, because the grapes are ripe. The angel swung his sickle over the earth, gathered its grapes, and threw them into the great winepress of God's wrath. And they were trampled in the winepress outside the city. And blood flowed out of the press, rising as high as a horse's bridle for a distance of 1,600 stadia. There's still time to repent. God is being patient. He wants us to repent. He's kind. He's patient. He's leading us to understand His holiness before we have to experience it. The purpose of time is so that all may come to repentance. So I went back and thought about the virtue that we are to make every effort to add to our faith. And these are classic seven virtues combined with seven vices. As you think about repentance, it might be a good place to start. Make every effort to add to your faith chastity, repenting from lust. Make every effort to add to your faith temperance, repenting from gluttony. Oh boy, now I'm starting to meddle. Here we go to a potluck. Make every effort to add charity, generosity, and repent from all that is greed. Make every effort to add diligence. And repent from sloth. Make every effort to add kindness and repent from envy. I love the fact that those are opposites. Kindness versus envy. My friends, envy runs the internet. That's the engine that runs the internet. Kindness is there. But you have to repent of the envy and push in to kindness. Repent of wrath, anger, and make every effort to add patience to your faith. And repent of pride and make every effort to add humility. We all worship ourselves. We are loveless. We are worldly, wasting the life that Jesus bought for us on whatever we want. We are lazy. We don't give thanks in all things or rejoice at all times. We disobey the Great Commission. Repent. There's still time. I read this week Hebrews chapter 10, and I want to finish with this, verse 39, the last verse of Hebrews chapter 10, right before Hebrews 11, which is the great statement of the heroes of faith. We are not of those who shrink back, but of those who believe and are saved. That's what I'm challenging us to this morning. Believe in the coming judgment of God and press on in belief in faithful prayer, in making every effort to add virtue, and in repentance of whatever brings His wrath. As we finish, there are two kinds of people in the world. And I think there are two kinds in this room. 
One has repented from themselves and found their identity in I am. The other kind of person still is trying hard to be somebody without Jesus. And it's a losing proposition even though it's what everybody's doing. And I'm asking you to abandon your little mission to set up your own kingdom, even if it means coming to church to get successful and say, I take down my flag and I put up Jesus' flag. I bend the knee now before I have to in the end. Repent. God is patient. He's waiting for you and for me to repent and to be holy so that we can look forward to the judgment and not dread it. Close your eyes with me for a second. We're going to move into a time of the Lord's Supper. And I just want you to spend this time right now examining your heart, examine your mind, your soul, your, your, your budget, your calendar. What did you do with the time God gave you this week? He's being patient with you. He doesn't want you to perish. He doesn't want you to lose your time or your money or your life spending it on frivolous worldly stuff. Repent. Turn back. Fix your eyes on Jesus and run with perseverance and joy that race that He's laid out before you. Maybe some of you have never done this. You've been avoiding it. You've been stiff-arming the Holy Spirit and He's pressing into you this morning. I just want you to raise your hand. I'd like to see where you are. You say, I'm, I need to repent and I don't even know how to do it, but I know the Holy Spirit's asking me to do that. Would you raise your hand? Okay, the Lord touch you. The Lord help you. Father, only by your grace, no one comes to you unless you draw them. Draw us. We are your children bought with the precious price of your blood shed on Calvary. So we ask that you would give us a zeal for holiness, a hatred of all that you hate, all that brings your wrath on the world and courage to proclaim this message to all that will listen so that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to read 1 Corinthians 10 in preparation for the Lord's Supper. And then after that, I'm going to have the servers and the worship team uh, well let's have the servers come and worship team you can serve yourselves first first corinthians 10 talks about the lord's supper you know we usually read first corinthians 11 if you'd like to follow along the first 13 verses of first corinthians 10 paul is using the old testament as an example of the body of christ and this moment that we're about to share for I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Verse 6. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from doing five things. Number one, setting our hearts on evil things. That's lust, as they did. 
Verse 7, do not be, number two, idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit, number three, sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. That's God's wrath. Verse 9, we should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And finally, verse 10, and do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has taken you except what is common to man. God is faithful. He will not let your, you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. As you spend a moment repenting for setting your hearts on evil things, idols, sexual immorality, testing Christ and grumbling. Lord, I pray that You would set aside these elements, crackers and juice, that they might feed our faith through remembering You and what You have done. It's historical. You died. You rose again. You ascended. And You promised to come again. And we believe it. And receive it today in this act of obedience of eating and drinking according to Your Word, remembering You. In Jesus' name.